Uh, all the talk this morning is about the lightning strike they had last week, and we have almost everything back functional, we think. Um, we're running the, the old projector instead of the new projector, so it's kind of dim, but it's there. Um, it's there. So anyways, uh, during worship and stuff, if, if that doesn't work for you, we've got songbooks, we've got Bibles, we got, you know, hopefully everybody brought in their reading glasses. As I get older, I start realizing that's an issue too, so... Anywho, that's the big talk, but anyways, we're going to get into, continue our study on the life of Christ, and uh, to, I've been using the Chronological Study of the Life of Jesus by Gene Taylor, Fourfold Gospel by J.W. McGarvey, uh, Padfield.com's got a lot of stuff, I've been using Kaufman's Commentary, it's online, um, so those are some of the places I've been using for references. We're going to talk about sin and forgiveness between the brethren. I hope I'm picking up right where Chuck left off because Chuck left off last week, and there's no YouTube from last week for me to make sure I was in the right spot. But um, I know he didn't finish last week, so I picked up the last topic. So Very far. Didn't get in there very far? Okay, so that's where I'm at anyway. So if you heard some of this last week, and I'm, even last week I was fussing with all the equipment and stuff and probably didn't do a good job of paying attention. So that's where we're at today. We're going to cover one, one study, 20 verses here, Sin and Forgiveness Between Brethren. Um, I'm going to start out with the first few verses and just read them. My font size doesn't look so small with the new projector, but it looks small when you look at with the old projector. It just doesn't project as well. But anyway, so it's Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In 18 and 20, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So we're going to back up. So there's this process. It starts out, if a brother sins against you, go and tell them. If it works out, you ain't a brother. If they don't listen, bring one or two witnesses. You know, and that's really, it's their independent witness. It's not that just they've heard us a rumor or something. So it, you go like that. If that don't work, you go with the church. If that don't work, it gets to a nasty point where you have to put, treat them like a Gentile and a tax collector. So, but what's the whole point of this process? Chuck? To help the brother. Help the brother. And that's, that's what the key is. Sometimes we don't see that end of it, it but it's there to help a brother. To change, you know, it says right there, you, you could save a brother. To change them, to, you know, to make that big difference, then they can stay saved. You don't want to get to the point where they're like a Gentile or a tax collector, where they're outside the church. So it's really about restoring through sin, working with somebody to get them turned around. So how should, with that in mind, how do we approach a brother or a sister in sin? With torches and axes? No, right? It's not it. It wouldn't work for me. You come to me like that, Chuck. Yeah, I, I've I've seen this before, where it was well, we'll step through the process so we can get rid of them, and that's not the point. No. The, 
point of this is to bring them back to God, and you're doing it, and it, it hurts to do it, because, but if you do it in anger, don't go. Right. If you're going to do it in anger, don't go. In this has to be in love. It, it can't has to be, be in love. anger. It can't be in vengeance. It can't be, you did it, and you shouldn't do that, you know you should do it, and, and, and shaking your finger at them. This is, this is to say, okay, you have a weakness here. How can we help you? But you need to recognize that it's, it's against God. It's, it's How against can we help you? And that's the way to approach it. And it's not, you know, it's not, I don't think it's necessarily bang, bang, bang. One, two, three. You may go to that person several times. Maybe not just once. You may go several times that person. So I'm trying not to approach it as, you've got it up as a process, but as, as, a, as a process to say, we stepped through, we did what we're supposed to do, I feel good about getting rid of this brother. And, I, and, and the legalistic approach would be, those are the three steps. Right. I'm, I'm with you, actually, and that's some of the questions I have even later on, is how long does something like this take? You're right. From a legalistic point of view, it's like, I went, let's, let me take somebody else who got a, a witness account, now let's just broadcast it at church and let's get rid of this person. And that's not, that's not what's behind it. It's about restoring people to God. As we get through this, I'm going to tell you, there's a parable at the end. And the parable with this part together, and I've never seen the two of them taught together, unfortunately, because they follow each other in Matthew. But you put the parable with it, it becomes, like Chuck says, it's an in-love restoration uh, effort. So is this process for private sins or public sins? I was looking for Chuck's one-word answer. It's both, yeah, it's yes. It's, it's, it's for sometimes, you know, like that, a private sin. Um, like I said, your best shot is somebody you know, somebody you love, and you talk to them about that. Public sins, those are a little harder. And, um, and finding the right person a, and going through it to help quiet that down, change the things, not quiet it down, but, you know, we know how this is aimed at helping the individual, but how does it help the congregation? That's the next question. We can restore somebody's soul. We can turn them away from that sin, but how does it help the church? Definitely it helps us learn the power of mercy. That's, I like that. I like that a lot. It gets into the next verse, no, it wasn't. Um, yeah, it helps us all learn about the power of mercy, especially the one who's, who's there. Um, it's a purification process is, is part of it too, and uh, yeah. Oftentimes we turn a blind eye to sin or quickly move to remove ourselves from the situation. I mean, there's certain things. It's like, I know it's there, but I don't want to see it. I don't want to talk about it. I definitely don't want to get involved. Or a situation where we want to remove ourselves. Somebody would just like, no, I'll just stay way over here. I've stepped in that kind of thing before. Um, so I guess the two questions are why? Why do we treat it that way? Maybe I just said it really, I guess. And does our relationship with the sinner often factor into our chosen path? Susan? We're part of the body of Christ. And we're restoring the body. And if every person is truly needed, 
can't reach out to that person, we've damaged the body, and it's going to take a long time to heal, whichever way, you know. Whichever way it happens, yeah. Yeah, if your knee hurts, you'll do anything you can to get that fixed, right? Sometimes. Sometimes it's, too, it's pretty tragic what you got to do with it. But yeah, but somebody, and like that, your relationship to the center, the relationship to the person that it's, is it different how you approach someone that you care about? And like Chuck says, there's two ways to approach people, but you really need the same approach. And sometimes it's easier. It's tough. It's tough with a serious situation to talk to someone you very much love about something who, which very much leads them down the wrong path and try to restore them. 1 Corinthians 5, I'm going to look at some examples. But 1 Corinthians 5 is probably the most extreme example. Um, verses 1 and 2, it's actually reported there's a sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not tolerated even among pagans, for man has his father's wife. You are, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from you, among you. Your boasting is not good. Do not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you are, really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So anyways, the story on that part, there's man caught in sexual sin. There's different ways to look at that, what that sin is, but it's just called out. And I'm not going to address him as much as, well, I guess some of it. But does this sound like a single trespass? Does it sound like a sin of weakness where he was, he had a one-night stand? No, it's more than, it's more than that. With one night stand, there's ways, it's easy ways to get past that. Is it habitual? On a regular basis? Something that continually happens? It seems to be. And I, even like this, it's risen to the point, what you see in this passage is it's risen to the point where he doesn't even consider it a sin anymore. It's, it's, it's known by everybody and everybody just accepts it. And Paul's writing to the church is, you're arrogant, not, you know, you should mourn this. It's not, don't just say this is who he is and go on with it. Work with it. So what did the sin done to the congregation? He calls it leaven, is really where it is the word, and it's kind of, it's, it's in there, it, it filters through a little bit of everywhere. Um, see the direction to remove him and cleanse out the leaven, but does that override the steps of going, because it says cleanse out the leaven. Does that include the steps we looked at earlier? Going to him alone? Going to him with two, two or three people? I, th I think it's too implied that that should have been there, right? You know, that's, that's where it should start. It's not, it's not get rid of this guy. Uh, the story is, I guess, that they do they, they disfellowship him. He sees the error of his ways and corrects himself in 2 Corinthians. Whether he changes ways or removes the congregation, what would it do for the congregation? And it's, uh, you start over. You, you cleanse, the, cleanse the congregation is really the purpose. Where does the purity of the church come from? Is it from, where does the purity from the church come from? Is it how well we do? Is it how well we filter sin? Not at all, all right? It's all from Christ. It's all, because every one of us is center. So it's, you know, it's all from Christ is where it's at. So, um,
But I'm now writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler. Not even eat with such one of these. And it gets to like that. Like I said, the, it can get to this point. And it's, it's a lot of things that people don't always think about um, that it's called out here, like, like the greed thing. There are people who are just flat out greedy that fall under the same thing, or swindlers. Can you imagine having someone here who took money from each and every one of us, or the old people preyed on them and put it into a 401k that didn't exist other than his pocket? Um, you know what revilers are? Those are just abusive people. Is really what a reviler is, and they're just abusive people. They're all subject to the same steps, the same approach to try to heal them. How long does it take? Chuck alluded to this a while back earlier. How long does it take? I'll pick one out. What's that? No, sorry. Chuck? As long as it takes. That's really the key. As long as they're making efforts, as long as you see a direction. And there'll be ups and downs. That's just how it is. Uh, people in recovery, you pick out you know, the drunkard himself. Um, people I know who are in recovery, people who are recovered alcoholics for 20 years, they never refer to themselves as fixed. They're always, I'm an alcoholic, but I've been dry for 20 years. And this is, it's a process. There's ups, there's downs, and it takes time. And people should be given time. So, um, how do you deal with sons and non-believers? For what I have to do with judging outsiders, is it not inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. How do we deal with non-believers? They're non-believers. Chuck? To go around pointing out where everybody else is wrong. Our job is to go around spreading the gospel. Okay. Our job isn't to point out who's wrong. It's, it's to spread the gospel, spread the good news, spread that there is a way. Um, that's the key. That's the key. And then that's where it's at. Um, those who are seeking Christ, same way. That's a great thing. It's like I say, you spread the gospel. The purpose of spreading the good news is that they will seek Christ. Give people time. Give them, give them help. Give them time. Um, we'll get that. We'll skip that one. Um, anyways, back to Matthew 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they will ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among you. So the goal of the whole process is to be bound together in the name of Christ. That's, that's the purpose. That's really what this is all about, working with someone to bring them back into Christ. The church, the body of Christ. This is, you know, and like Susan pointed out, you got a part that's, that's not working right, We'll try to get it to work right. This is what it's all about, is restoring people to be the church, to be the body of Christ. And it moves on from that point, Matthew 18, 21 through 22. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So does Peter have a valid question? How many times should I forgive somebody? You know these people. They're in your life, right? How many people do you have in your life that, man, how many more times do I have to forgive them for the same thing over and over? So he's got a valid question. 
How many times do we really need to let someone sin against us? Mistreat us, let us down. It's always a good question. Did Peter expect to, what answer? Oh, Chuck. You know, some versions say 70 times 7, and the ESV says 77 times. And there are different ones say that. And I think if you looked at the Greek, it's like 770 or 77. I mean, it's like, it's one of those things that doesn't translate well into English. So, I know. Right. I got that on here, too. Yeah, right there. Yeah. No, you're good. I, we're supposed to be on the same page on this. If I'm not, you know, I, I'm not a Bible. You know, I'm not, I don't have a Bible major, man. I'm an engineer just like you. So, no, this is good. You're right. Ten, and, and it's, some versions say 70 times 7. Some say 77. But you see in here, if it's 70 times 7, it's 7 times 10 times 7. If it's 77, it's 70 times 10 plus 7. 10 is symbolic of completeness, perfection, God's will, God's authority. This is what number 10 stands for. And as you see it throughout the Bible, this is what 10 stands for. 7 itself is typically completion or perfection. I broke 7 into two other parts, 7 being 4, time, four plus 3. Four is typically creation. It's, it might be the, the, the four corners of the earth, the four winds. Humanity is four. Uh, this is something that you see with four, but three is God, three parts of God. So when you put God and man together, there's where you get your perfection, and that's where your seven is. And you put complete, your perfection completely, or, you know, perfection, perfection, the completely, completely, whether it's 77 or 490, how, how, how should you forgive someone? Completely, completely. Perfectly, completely. That's, that's the answer. So, does that sound about right? Ten was um, for all time. Okay, completeness of time, perfection of time. Which would be completely, completely for all time. In other words, I, I forgive you. And they get in an argument in a few years, and they say, well, remember this? And it's like, no. No, you forgave me that one completely for all time. Right. It doesn't come back. It up doesn't come back. Um, marriages that I know where one person uh, did something wrong, whether they had an affair or something, and they've agreed to move on, I know that's the key to moving on. Don't bring that back up. Don't say, I remember 22 years ago on a Thursday night. No, don't. If you agreed to forgive it and move on, Move on. And, yeah, the goal is, you know, the sin is really with God. And what the, the goal is to get someone to heaven. So that's all time. It's completely all time. That's where it's at. You know, I think the hardest, the hardest individual for forgiveness, for us to seek forgiveness, is that person we're looking at in the mirror. Yes. Because we may pray to God to be forgiven, and God says, I forgive you. And we keep praying, and it's kind of, Probably going, I don't understand what you're asking me to forgive you of. I already forgave you of it. He does forgive completely, completely for all time. Yes. We have a problem. We have problems. And you're right. The biggest one we have problems with is, is typically ourselves. We know our own faults. We know, we know each and every one of those things. So. so what answer do you think Peter expected 
uh, Jesus to give him. And it comes from, it's a rabbinical answer. The rabbis gave this, and it really comes from Amos 1.3. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Anyways, the rabbis basically said, you forgive three people three times. On that fourth one, there's just no sense in doing that. So I think Peter was basically looking for Jesus to give that answer. But Peter was kind of, he embellished it to seven. Should I forgive him seven times? You know, this is a new age. This is, maybe I should forgive him more than the three times. But that's the answer I think he was probably looking for. But, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're doing great, Peter. You're really catching on. It's not three anymore. It's seven. No, it's completely, completely for all time. So, use my numerical limit there, infinity. So, moving on to that, um, it gets into a, uh, a parable, and that's where we're going to go. And that's, like I said, you've heard the parable. I know the parable. You don't typically tie the parable to what we just talked about, but it all ties together for the same purpose. So, Matthew 18, 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So, Jesus tells this parable. What does the king represent? It's not a hard guess here. King represents God. The king almost always represents God. The king, the master. So moving on to verse 24. When he begins to, began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. All right. So whose servant was this man? He's a servant of the king. He's a servant of God. So don't, I don't want you to lose sight of that. I know it's a parable and not everything translates real well, but this is someone who is a servant of God. So if you're going to translate this to the church, this is, this is a believer, this is a Christian that, is, that this happens to. How much is he in debt? A bunch. A bunch. A bunch. A bunch, a bunch, okay? Kaufman's notes points to this talent, so probably talents of gold. Sometimes people say they may be talents of silver, it doesn't really matter. If you've taken this talent of gold, a talent of gold was about 75 pounds, a biblical talent. That's basically So 75 pounds is a talent. According to vcalc.com, which actually exists, they calculate a talent of gold at the current spot price of gold, which obviously doesn't work on Sundays, but anyways. About $1.9 million per talent, okay? He owes about $19 billion is what his servant owns, okay? Um, the Temple of Solomon, they say, cost about 80% of that. So maybe $15 billion to build the Temple of Solomon. Uh, what are the big stadiums now cost? Yankee Stadium, uh, Dallas Cowboys Stadium, what? $2 billion, $3 billion? Is that about right? Nothing compared to this, right? Nothing. All right. Anybody here owe $19 billion? I, I got two kids in college, so maybe it's close. But, you know, $19 billion, a lot of money that some random guy owes the king. Why would he have a debt of $19 billion? Debt number. Hmm? He chose a debt number yeah. to illustrate 
You can't repay it. It's I know impossible. It. It's, it's impossible. You're right. This is really an impossible thing. And it's a number so large that it's absolutely impossible for this guy to pay. And he's done something absolutely stupid to get himself into this position. I mean, $19 billion. It's almost like the king gave him money and said, here, go buy the country next door. You know, go do something like this. But what he did was, what did he do with it? You know, he went to Vegas and put it on black, spun the wheel, and it came up red. Nope, nothing. You know, don't know. He has zero. He doesn't have anything because they're going to, they're going to sell him. They're going to sell his kids. They're going to sell his wife and everything he has. And I'll guarantee he ain't got $19 billion. So what's it going to cost him? How is he going to cover the debt? He ain't. He ain't going to pay it. There's no way, no how, he'll ever pay that debt. The great debt represents the total bankruptcy of sin, and that's what it is. The wages of sin are death, um, and that's really what it is. He owes an unrepayable amount. There's nothing he can do, no way, no how. If he worked every day for a million years, he could never, ever pay that back, and that's what that represents. So moving on to verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I'll pay you everything. Have patience. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So what's, what's his real response? What's the response of the servant? I know I owe you $19 billion, but... He's really looking for mercy, isn't he? He says, be patient with me. Like I said, a million years working, he ain't going to pay it back. He's looking for that mercy. Some versions of the Bible, where it says he fell to his knees imploring him, it says he worships him. So the servant worships the king. Like I said, we're the servants. God's the king. Basically, he says, whatever it takes. Will he stand any chance? No. Um, what's the response of the king? The guy owes you $19 billion. He has zero chance to ever pay any of it back. If you throw it in jail... You sell his wife, you sell his kids, you sell his stuff, you still ain't got nowhere near. What's the king say? What's the king do? He's graceful. I like that word. It says he has pity. He has pity on him, and he forgives him the debt. Wiped out. $19 billion, don't worry about it. You're still my servant, you're still my subject, you're still part of my kingdom but you don't owe me $19 billion, it's taken care of. Why? Would you forgive $19 billion worth of debt? Didn't have $19 billion to start with, so. You know, quite honestly, what else are you gonna do? What else are you gonna do? Other than penalize somebody, what else are you going to do? So you could penalize somebody, but that's not it. Matthew 18, 28. And when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. I always love this, this uh, parable. It's just 
very vibrant in uh, descriptions. So what does this, what does this servant owe the first servant? How much? <laughs> Pittance compared to what? Yeah, yeah, a hundred denarii. If you don't know, a denarius, denarii is, is plural, like octopi. Denarius was a day's pay of an unskilled laborer. Okay, you want to use the fifteen-dollar minimum wage that everybody wants to talk about? It's one hundred and twenty bucks a day. So the servant's debt is twelve grand. The second servant owes the first servant twelve grand. Is that a significant amount? Chuck said it's nothing. I mean, twelve grand's a lot of money, but it's nothing compared to nineteen billion dollars. You know, if I was just forgiven, you know, and that's the point. If you were just forgiven nineteen billion dollars, let this guy go. He doesn't owe you anything compared to that. The truth is, if servant two owes servant one, servant one still owes it to the king. That's really where that money was supposed to go anyways. So it's a pittance in comparison, but the same thing is it's worth it's worthwhile. You know, and I think sometimes we overlook it at this what he owes him is is ah, it's nothing. It's a quarter, it's twenty dollars. It's still a significant amount, but he still should have forgave him. And that gets into where he goes here. So he says he chokes him. So he choke him hard enough, he gives up the money, right? It's always how it works, isn't it? You choke them hard enough, they give it up, I'm sure. No, it's not going to work that way. You can choke them all you want. 29, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I'll pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. So basically you got the same, the, the, the second servant responds in the same way, right? Have patience with me, I'll pay you back. That's really his response. But the first servant doesn't. He throws him in prison. So how long of a stay in prison will help pay that debt? If I go, if I go prison tomorrow, I don't work tomorrow, right? So I don't make money tomorrow. So, if somebody, so I would have to find somebody to pay my debt for me. Going to prison is not the answer here. So what do you think the prison represents, in all honesty? Because you're going to be in prison forever to pay that debt. Does a prison represent hell? Unfortunately, it does. I, that's the way I look at it. I think it, it represents that. And that the servant, this servant, basically, that's where he sends the second servant. He, rather than restoring him, rather than working with him, rather than forgiving, he'd rather see him pay the ultimate price and push him away. And that's not how the king treated him. Until verse 31, of course. But, you know, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were gratefully distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. You should not have had mercy on, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow, fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So the response of the king with the unforgiving servant, he throws him in jail. I didn't notice the first time, but in verse 34, how does the king deal with the, the, guy that, the first guy who he'd forgiven? It's in anger. It's not in love. 
He's past that. He showed him love. This is an anger. Um, at least that's what the translation says. And this all ties back to the restoration of sinners that we started with. Um, we all have an unpayable debt. This is really where it's at. We have an unpayable debt. We can't pay the, the wages of sin. The, what we earn from sin is death, and we can't pay that back. We all have that. Um, and our forgiveness, like, like, like this servant, it's our job to forgive. It's our job to restore, to help keep us all out of prison. That's the goal. Uh, mercy and forgiveness can keep us all out of the prison of hell. And if part of the... No, go ahead. Is from your heart. In other words, you really, truly forgive this person, which is where he started from with Peter to say, you feel give them completely, completely for all time. Yeah. He, he's illustrating the point about forgiveness and using this parable to show the... You know, when you look at things that are done against you, they're trivial in comparison to what you've done against God. Right. And that's where we, start, and that's where we started with the, the beginning of this. When we talked about the sins with restoring those, those a lot of times sin against us or sin that, that infiltrates the church. But forgiving that is trivial compared to the grand debt. You know, and it's like I said, it's from that heart is where it has to be. It's not just checking a box. It's not walking away and never looking back. It's more than that. It is. It's with your heart. Forgive your brother with your heart. Um, I'm finishing up with Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Uh, this follows the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. And part of that is forgive others as we've been forgiven. Um, and that's really the real thing. Like I said the, at the beginning, when we talk about going to someone in sin by yourself with two or three, even to the point where if they don't respond, you know, a disfellowship type thing, but all in love, not in hatred, but the purpose, the purpose, purpose, purpose is restoration. And when you look at things that a lot of times we wouldn't want to deal with. We wouldn't want to, whether it's family, friends, or whoever, it gets down to this. We've been forgiven, and we need to work on that too. So, anyway, I don't think I've ever finished early. Has this ever happened? I can't imagine this. Steve?
and it may take time. It may take a lot of time. Uh, Chuck pointed out earlier, it may, it's probably not a go once, go twice, and we're done. It's, it'll take sometimes months, years. There are certain things that just absolutely take a lifetime, you know, a progression, but not maybe never fixing. So, and that's where it gets to be. So. Well, this is the writer's Paul, correct? Mm -hmm. And didn't he have to go correct Peter? Because Peter in, was not treating the Gentiles correctly, mm -hmm. and it was an open sin, and he went to him. So he had personal, he knew what this meant because they not only have to correct it, they had to deal with that forgiveness factor and, and move on. Yeah, you're right. Paul went to Peter to correct it and he knew of the implications of that and had to move on. Um, again, that's a, an open sin and sometimes, and I, with that process, like I said, I call it a process, but I know it's, it's more than that. But you don't start out by broadcasting it to the world. You know, the following person has a following problem in their life. You know, you call me out the first time I'm here, I'm not coming back. You know, you call me out after 20 years of being here, I'm probably still not coming back. You know, it's just that ain't going to do it. You don't start out with the public, public announcement, the following centers of, it ain't going to do anything. With that problem. Yeah, you have a long ways to, to deal with that problem, and uh, that's how it had to happen. There's certain things in Paul's letters that certain people, you could... He writes them off or gives them over to Satan, as he says. Um, but you know there was more to it than, it wasn't just, uh, no, not that. You know, it's been more to it than that, even though it might not be written. Because those letters just get too long if you include all the steps. I went to here and I did this and I talked to him about that. It's, it's more to it. So. All right, anybody else got anything else to add? You want some chocolate? We got chocolate still. I just don't throw it out on Sunday morning. So. Okay, well, thanks for being with us. Thanks for dealing with us with, the, uh, with everything. So, and worship will probably start in about 15 minutes. So thank you all.